Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It might be in that section where the pages are all stuck together. If so, just part them right after Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. The theme of the camp is alive. And that theme really finds its way throughout this whole week in uh, looking at Solomon and how he describes his pursuits in life in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's fair to say that maybe no one has ever lived like Solomon lived. No one has ever experienced life at the depth that Solomon lived it at. No one has ever experienced the joys or the sorrows of life like Solomon did. Strange thing happens, though, in chapter 2. Let me read it to put it in our hearts, and then we'll uh, study it together. I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. And how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had home-born slaves. I also possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also... I collected for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus, I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity, striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. In the late 60s, a a voice reverberated and rocked an entire generation. Noted scholar entrepreneurial philosopher and brilliant theologian Mick Jagger captured in five simple words the battle cry of man's entire existence. This song actually was voted by Rolling Stone as the number one rock and roll song of all time just last year. The lyric, I can't get no what? And he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and still, I can't get no. That was weak. (laughs) Have you ever heard this song? I can't get no. Oh, that's good. I'm not going to ask you to sing it. Eric might do that a little later to get your mail, but we're not going to do that. What does he mean by that? It might be the only thing Mick Jagger ever got right. I can't get any satisfaction. And I love the fact that he says, I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried, and still I couldn't get any. This is a conclusion that was right. It's the conclusion of a mind and a life set toward trying to get everything out of life, only in the end seeing that it doesn't give what it promises. Solomon did that. And Solomon summarizes all of life in these little, few, tiny words. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. That's the 10th century B.C. version of I can't get no satisfaction. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. He says that in the first 11 verses of chapter 1, and that's his conclusion to the poem. Now, what does that mean, vanity of vanities? We've heard it sung in certain songs. We hear people say it. It means I'm not sure exactly what the ESV says. Y'all of you are looking at it. Does it say uh, uh, vanity or meaningless? 
Does anyone have an ESV in the building? Meaningless? Vanity. Good. They get it right. Sorry, I'm in the New American Standard. Uh, I know the NIV says meaningless, meaningless. That's not what it means. Vanity simply means this. Something that's there for a moment, then it's gone. It's temporal. It's like steam off a cup of coffee. It's there for a moment, then it's gone. It's transitory. It's temporal. Solomon says, everything is temporal, temporal. I can't get any satisfaction. That will last. If I can summarize Solomon's argument in the whole book, it comes down to two words, and you know them well. Juicy fruit. Now, everyone knows what juicy fruit is. It is the greatest gum in the history of gumdom. There's just, it is sweet. It's excellent. It tastes wonderful for about 30 seconds. 60 if you get a really good stick. And then you've got a problem with that juicy fruit. Now, have you ever been around someone who's, chung, who's chewed juicy fruit for more than like five minutes? That is called extreme halitosis. It just makes your tongue all nappy and your mouth all gummy. And you got a choice. Either put another piece in or spit it out. That's the idea that Solomon is concluding with here. Life is like that. It's juicy fruit. It's very sweet for a moment and then it's gone. Now, rewind the tape back to 1978. You say, well, I wasn't alive then. but I was. And I was sitting exactly where you are in Black Mountain, North Carolina at a camp. And I'll never forget it. There was a guy who got up and he was railing on all the pleasures of life. And I remember him telling me, you think sex is great, it's not. You think music is great, it's not. You think fun is great, it's not. And I was sitting in the back thinking, why? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to enjoy life. And his whole point was throw all the fun away so that you can get right with God. I'm going to be honest with you. I had a very sour taste in my mouth about God that afternoon. Solomon says almost the same thing, but with a massive, massive twist. When you open up the book of uh, Ecclesiastes, you find a man who has spent his life pursuing everything he could to be alive. But everything he pursued to be alive only made him feel more dead. Until he got to the end. And the whole book concludes with the fact that God is at the end and everything else is temporal, temporal, temporal. I'm going to ask you guys this week to be a little more mature than the average high schooler, to think on the second story of life, to think seriously about life and death, what you're about, what you really want. Let me read you what someone has said It's an accurate description of human existence for them. See if you can identify with this. Give me, give me, give me. Most of us have stood toe-to-toe, eyes popping, neck veins bulging, saliva flying, screaming at life. Most of us have grabbed life by the throat, slammed it against the wall, sunk our thumbs into its jugular and shrieked, Give me meaning, give me purpose, give me peace, give me happiness, give me something worth living for. I demand it. I cannot go on without it. Give me something worth living for. And for many of us, life stares back like a zombie. Unblinking eyes, emotionless, silenced, unruffled, untouched by our outburst. Nose to nose with us, life breathes its foul, uncaring breath into our nostrils and its unfocused eyes look past and through us, unconcerned and even unaware of our presence. It was as though it never even heard us. With rage, fueled by alarm, we will. But you promised, you promised me meaning and purpose and love. You led me to believe that I could succeed, that I could matter, that someone would care. You lied, you lied, you lied. If you haven't ever felt like that, you will. Life is full of promises. Everything in this world is used by the enemy of our soul to tempt us to find meaning in it rather than in God. Like a rat in a maze, just trying to figure it out. You ever feel like one of those hamsters on that treadmill, that circle thing? It's running and running and never gets anywhere. You just kind of get up and live life and you do the same thing the next day and the same thing the next day and the same thing the next day. 
my mom. I told you a little bit about her last night. She was a wonderful country girl, and uh, I'll never forget, she came to one of my track meets one time. She wasn't really into going to sporting events, and finally I talked her into going to my track meet. Now, I, I did what was called the suicide double in high school, which was the two-mile and the one-mile, meaning you're doing 12 laps around the track um, during the track meet. Uh, mile was early. I think it was number three in the track meet. Uh, next to last was a two-mile. Well, Mom watched me, and she was thankful, and afterwards she, she said, Ricky, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, Mom. She said, you ran that mile, didn't you? Four laps. I said, yeah, I did. And then you ran eight laps after that, and that was the two-mile race, right? I said, yes, ma'am. She says, can you help me understand why you would want to run three miles and end up in the same place you started? This is coming from the same woman who said, I don't understand football. If they would give both teams a ball, they wouldn't have to fight over one. I got to admit, I went home that day after that track meet and said, what am I doing? This makes no sense at all. Solomon is saying, life will make no sense at all if you use, get this, your own intuition to figure it out. All of us have intuition. We kind of have the world figured out according to us. It's kind of a, uh, they're me glasses. We look through life with me in focus. Let's review. Solomon was given wisdom. He was given wisdom to rule the people and to discern good and evil, right? God gave him divine insight to rule the people and to know good from evil. Solomon did that for a while. Many years, actually. All was going great. And then something happened. Back up from in Ecclesiastes to chapter 1 and look at verse... I'll start at 16. He gets bored. I said to myself, now anytime you see something that says, I said to myself, push pause. That, that's not a good thing. He's talking to himself. Worse, he's listening. Worse yet, he's responding. I said to myself, guess what? Behold, I've magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. He has been there, done that, seen that, experienced that. I've set my mind to know wisdom, to know madness and folly. I've realized that there is also, that this also is striving after the wind. He's been looking at life, philosophical systems. And then look at verse 18. Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. What does that mean? You get this and you get the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all about verse 18. He said, God has given me all this insight. I've had all this experience. And to use all of that is a good thing when I'm using it for God. But God has given me such capacity to understand life that not only do I maximize the joys in life, guess what? I feel much deeper than anyone else the pains and the sorrows of life. I believe Solomon had a greater capacity for joy and a greater capacity for pain than you and I because of what he'd been given in the gift of God and his wisdom. So he reviews something he did. He rewinds the tape and he tells us something he did. And he begins to test six pleasures in chapter 2. He sets up this grand experiment. He says, okay, I'm going to lay life on the examination table. I'm going to test all it has to give me in pleasure. I'm going to test all that the world says gives you satisfaction and see what it gives me. Remember that Solomon had all the money and all the power to get and to do anything he wanted, making his experiment more profound than anything we could do. What I also find remarkable is these six experiments are the exact six that you and your whole generation, that I, that the older generation, continue to try to press to see if they'll bring lasting satisfaction. Remember our illustration. He's standing on the other side of the lake after going across and falling through the ice and saying, hey, don't, don't come this way. And we're going, right, Solomon. And we get right on that thin ice and God in his grace lets it break through because the, the weight of our own pursuit of satisfaction cannot be held by anything in this world. So he sets up this experiment. Let me just give you a, a real simple uh, outline of it. 
He tries these six things. The first one, fun. Okay, let me try fun. Let me see if I can have all the fun I want to in my life. And if so, perhaps it will bring me lasting and meaningful satisfaction. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. There's the big experiment. So enjoy yourself. Wow. Press life to see what it can bring you regarding satisfaction. And behold, it too was steam off a cup of coffee. Got there for a moment and gone. Here's the, ver- here's a, uh, the experiment on fun in verse 2. I said of laughter, that's madness, of pleasure, what does it accomplish? Solomon said, I'm going to test laughter. Anything that brings me pleasure and joy in life. Our vernacular, that's fun. Let me try to pursue fun. What could I pursue that could possibly bring me enough fun to last? I wonder what you try. C.S. Lewis has an amazing article where he said he calls it the problem of pleasure. Not the problem of pain. Get this. He says the problem of life is not pain. Because in pain, when we have suffering, pain, things go wrong, we typically go to prayer, go to God, ask big philosophical questions. It makes us think. It makes us probe. It makes us examine. But the problem with life isn't pain. Pain has good consequences. It forces us to ask the right question. Interestingly, he said the problem of our life is pleasure. The problem of our life is fun. Because when you get into fun, you stop thinking. I looked up fun in the uh, dictionary. Here's what it says. To amuse oneself. Amuse. Ah, it's a Greek little particle. It's called the alpha privative. It means to negate something. Ah means not. Muse is the Greek word for to think. Ah, muse. Not what? Think. To amuse yourself is to not think. Now, does that mean you stop thinking at the top of a roller coaster? Not at all. Now, I'm thinking a lot about that. It means you stop thinking about what's most profound. Solomon said, I'm going to try laughter. Just stop thinking about all the serious things in life. What did it bring me? Nothing. In fact, it was madness, it was folly. It didn't accomplish anything. J.C. Ryle wrote a book about 100 years ago in which he said our pursuit of fun as young people typically crowds out our pursuit of God. Listen to what he said. These words are 100 years old. This, too, is one great reason why worldly amusements are so objectionable. It may be difficult in some instances to show that they are in themselves positively unscriptural and wrong. We're going to come back to that. But there is little difficulty to show that the tendency of almost all of them, worldly pursuits, is most injurious to the soul. It injures our soul. They sow seeds of an earthly and sensual frame of mind. They war against the life of faith. They promote unhealthy and unnatural craving after excitement. They minister to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. They dim the view of heaven and eternity. They give a false color to the things of time. They make the heart unfit for private prayer and scripture reading and calm communion with God. The man who mingles in these pleasures is like the one who gives Satan advantageous ground. He has a battle to fight and he gives his enemy the help of sun, wind and hill. It would be strange indeed if he did not find himself continually overcome. Know what you're saying? I paid this money, took this time out to come to this camp to let this preacher say that life shouldn't be about fun. Where's my receipt? Give me a ticket home. Footnote. I, I want so badly to go to the end of Ecclesiastes right now, but I'm going to save it for the end of the week. It's the, it's the dessert. Solomon not only says this, let me, let me put it to you this way. He doesn't say, fun is not pursuable. He says, fun is not pursuable to bring you lasting satisfaction. But if any person on the planet ought to enjoy life, it ought to be a Christian. God has given us things. And if we can look through those things, through the things that we enjoy, to Him as the giver, they take on meaning. 
Have fun under the watchful eye of God. Eat a cheeseburger. Throw the tofu away and have a cheeseburger. Hot fudge sunny. Get your nails done. I hear that's a fun thing to do. Jill Bagranti had some interesting toenails. I saw, I would never do to my toenails, but that's because I'm not a girl. You can go to Magic Mountain. You can go to Six Flags. Watch a football game. Ride a bike. Walk in the rain. Talk to a three-year-old. That's fun. Swim in the ocean. Surf a wave. Ride a boogie board. Ski on a mountain. Run a 10K or a marathon. Now, some people think that's fun. I'm not sure why, but they do. Buy a fountain pen. Fill it full of ink. Just write with that thing. So precious. Get a handmade knife. Look at it. Get the magnifying glass out and say, There's order in this. God created order. John Piper says, learn how to drink a glass of orange juice to the glory of God. It's the same thing I'm saying here. The same thing Solomon is saying. If you're going to enjoy this planet, enjoy it because of God, not instead of God. And we'll come back to that all during the week. Have you tried to make fun the pronounced significant meaning in your life? Nothing wrong with having fun, but to have fun to avoid pain is a problem. He goes on in his experiment, though, and then he tries drinking, looking for life in a bottle, getting drunk. This is amazing for me. He actually admits this and sets it up. I explored with my mind, verse 3, how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. Right. This is tongue-in-cheek. I I set up this experiment to get drunk to see what it was like and try for my wisdom to evaluate it. How to take hold of folly, that's what he calls being drunk, until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of life. What he's saying is I see people getting drunk and they seem to enjoy it, so I'm going to get drunk and see if I enjoy it too. You could put drugs and anything else that would be a mind-altering substance in this category. Now, is this where you come out, and, and, and Rick, and say, you should never drink as long as you live? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says don't get drunk. And to be wise with every other pursuit of liberty. But at focus here is the idea of getting drunk, which is a major trap set in the high school years. It's an experiment, just like Solomon. Well, let me see what that's like. I was um, recently converted. After In my sophomore year, as I told you last night, the summer after my sophomore year, three, uh, actually four, three friends and I uh, went to Panama City Beach, Florida. And uh, I was recently converted. I, I still didn't know that I should be hanging out with Christian friends and not hanging out with unbelieving friends. And um, I was kind of naive to think that I could actually evangelize my unbelieving friends. And then I got old and mature and stopped thinking like that. Um, these buddies of mine went down. I was trying to tell them the gospel the whole way. And we got down there the first night and they decided to go over to a place called Spinnaker's. And they got trashed. I remember sitting in the hotel room when they went down to this club and got smashed. And they came back and they were laughing and having falling all over the place and having a great time. And I remember thinking, I'm a loser. I was reading my Bible while they were down at the bar. You know, I just felt like, you know, give me a pocket protector and put geek right across my chest. Everybody, these guys are having fun, and I'm totally, totally, totally a loser. Till about 1 o'clock in the morning. Rick, my friend, went in the bathroom and started screaming. And he threw up. And then he threw up some more. And then he threw up, and his face fell into the toilet. And for the next hour, until he threw up blood, I held his hair while he threw up. And I remember thinking, man, this is fun. What was I thinking staying back? I I could have been having this fun. In God's sweet justice, the next day, 
he had such a hangover. He went out on the beach. We're going to lay out and get a tan. (laughs) He went to sleep for about two hours. (laughs) If you looked at him from the side, there was this glowing red for front side and this white backside. And he had to stay in the hotel the rest of the four days we were there because he couldn't couldn't even move. Blisters and just... I enjoyed that, but I shouldn't have. It was, it was a lot of fun to see that his result. Here's the deal. What do you think is going to happen if you get drunk? Well, the Bible talks about that. Uh, the Bible has so many things to say about drunkenness. I'll just give you a few. It brings no lasting satisfaction. It's a sin, Ephesians 5.18. It identifies a fool, Proverbs 20, verse 1, Proverbs 23, verse 29. Drunkenness, get this, sidelines inhibitions. Just write these down and look these up later. Hosea 4.11 and Habakkuk 2.15. Habakkuk 2.15 is remarkable. Let me find it for you real quick because if everyone tried to find it, we'd be here the rest of the day. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in venom to make them drunk, so as to look on their nakedness. You know what Habakkuk is saying? Drunkenness sidelines normal and right inhibitions. It makes you a fool. That wasn't enough. He went on to try something else. Maybe I can find it in stuff. Maybe if I get enough stuff, materialism, that's his next experiment. If I get enough things, then I'll be happy. Does this sound relatively contemporary for something that's 10,000 years old? Or uh, 10 centuries old, rather, 1,000 years old? Verse 4. I enlarged... Look at the accents here. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a a growing forest of trees. I, 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 for myself, for myself, for myself. He even got slaves to help him to enjoy his stuff. There's this big lie. If I get what I want, I'll be happy. Listen to this analysis that I think is very insightful. Mr. and Mrs. Thing are a very pleasant and successful couple. At least that's the verdict of most people who tend to measure success with a thingometer. When the thingometer is put to the life of Mr. and Mrs. Thing, the result is startling. There he is, sitting down on a big, luxurious, and very expensive thing, almost hidden by the large number of other things. Things to sit on, things to sit out. Things to look on, things to cook on. Things to eat from, things all shining, things all new, things, things, things. Things to clean, things to wash. Things to clean with, things to wash with. Things to amuse, things to give pleasure, things to watch and things to play. Things for the long, hot summers, things for the short, cold winters. Things for the big thing in which they live. Things for the garden, things for the lounge, things for the kitchen, things for the bedroom. Things on four wheels, things on two wheels, things to pull on top, behind four wheels, things to put on top of four wheels, things to pull behind, things to push ahead. Get the idea that there's something wrong with the pursuit of things. It's easy to make fun of this little illustration, though, isn't it? What about you? What do you want? Solomon got everything he wanted. All, get this, for himself. Materialism only feeds yourself. And here's the problem. It will never, ever satisfy you. Dan Dumas is my friend. I think Dan's here somewhere. And... um, Dan is the one who uh, got me into fountain pens. I'm going to blame Dan. I'm throwing him right under the bus right now. So I wrote my first one. I'm like, That's great. And I, I write pretty much for a living. And so I liked it. I wanted another one. And I got another one. And I found out that my favorite pen was the one I didn't have. The one I wanted to get. Told you, Eric put it in the a live little thing. I like custom knives. This guy named Bob Dozier. We went uh, 400 miles out of the way to see this guy's shop. 
on a, a cross-country trip a few uh, weeks ago with my family. Just watched him making these knives. They're works of art. Hunting knives are amazing. And I've got a couple. Actually, actually I've got three. And um, there's another one I want. And I actually feel myself thinking, man, if I got that, I think, I think I'll be done. You ever wanted something that you figured you'd be done wanting after you got? How many play golf? Boy, that's a slippery slope, isn't it? You ever go in the golf store? I've, I've got a perfectly nice set of clubs, a great putter. Every time I go in the golf store, get on that little putting green. Ooh. Ooh. And I think they have a groove so that all of them go in, you know, no matter what. And I, got, I, 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 think, I, need, I, I think I need that. You ever go over into, like, Home Depot or Costco to see what you need? You don't know what you need until you see it, right? Does it ever bring you lasting, significant satisfaction? You ever had anything that you said, that's it? I'm never buying anything again as long as I live. I am totally satisfied. Get a blouse, get the jeans, get the shoes you want. Say, that's it, I'm done. Throw away the credit cards. Discontinue the checking account. I will never have to buy anything else as long as I live. Because I am satisfied. You kind of thumb your nose at Mick Jagger. You weren't, but I am satisfied. You know what the problem is? It always brings us satisfaction. How long? A little while. Lies to us. And we think, well, since we had that little sliver of satisfaction, maybe if I get another one, I can add to that, and pretty soon I'll start increasing my satisfaction and be totally happy. It's like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the more you want. That wasn't enough for Solomon, so he tried something else. See if this sounds contemporary. He tried, next experiment, entertainment. Entertainment. Look at verse 8. He can talking about his collection of money and things. Had silver and gold for myself, everything I wanted. Then I provided for myself male and female singers. There it is. Why is that significant? He had already been given a Levitical choir, but that wasn't enough. They were all male. Now he wanted male and female singers. Now remember where he is. He didn't have a CD, MP3 player, cassette, 8-track, anything. The only way you ever heard music was to have it live. Therefore, the only way he could enjoy music on a continual basis was to buy and hire his own band. That's what he did. I remember when I was in elementary school thinking, how... How do we get all that music in this little radio? And I actually asked my dad, I said, how do they get set up so fast? Dad said, what? He said, I said, how do, they get, how do they get everything set up and plugged in so fast? What are you talking about, Rick? Well, I had this vision that there was a radio station. And all the bands were in line outside to come in, set up, play the music, and then get back in line. And that's what they did for a living. Had no idea that that could be recorded. He explained to me about records and stuff then. Solomon didn't have any opportunity to have recorded music, so he made his own entertainment. He got these male and female singers. You ever find that you want entertainment? Movies? CDs? By the way, entertainment is really, really expensive. I did some uh, little research on it that uh, will make absolute sense to you. CDs, about 15 bucks. Downloads for an album between nine and fifteen bucks. Stereo systems for a home and car. Do you even need to go there? Movies about ten, twelve bucks. Add to that the seventeen dollar popcorn, the fifty seven dollar Coke. <laughs> a decent play is fifty dollars plus. Inter- internet service is twenty dollars a month or more. Computer games can be as high as fifty. I saw one for one hundred and twenty dollars. TVs, VCRs, DVDs, home entertainment systems, books and magazines, on and on and on. Pretty expensive stuff. How many of you ever bought a CD before in your life? It's most of us. Okay, did you ever do this? Did you ever, is it you're probably a band or a singer you, you really liked? You ever get that thing home and you just look at it and you go, And then you say, you stop it, you push pause, and you say, Mom, come here, Dad, everybody come here. I'm done. I will never buy another set of music as long as I live. This is it. 
This is so good and so satisfying. I'll never need more music. Anybody ever done that? No, instantly you say, boy, did they record anything last year? I can't wait till they record something next year. It's just this Harry Potter thing's a crack up, you know? You got people standing in line one week to get the book. And they're so exhausted when they get it, they can't even read it. They just want to know what happens. Does Harry live? Does Harry die? Does he marry? What's that girl's name? Hermione? Yeah, that's... Don't ever, ever do that to your kids. Is, it, is, is Ron the bad guy? Is, is the... Um, is the bad guy going to be real or is he just, you can't stab a ghost? What is, I'm talking to these people who are wiped out on this hairy thing. I think, then, then you find someone who finished it and say, was it all that you wanted it to be? It's over. It's over. The saga's over. Look, that doesn't mean you can't read books, go to a movie, enjoy a CD, have entertainment. That's not what it means at all. Do you keep it in perspective? Or do you really think that the pursuit of this is going to bring you something that it can't? Okay, you ready? Next experiment. Got your seatbelts on? Sex. He tried sex. Maybe this is what's going to bring me lasting satisfaction. Look at the end of verse 8. The pleasures of men, many concubines. Now, as we looked at last week, Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Get this. Do the math on this. He could have gone between two and a half and three years with a different woman and a different sexual experience every day. If anyone ever knew if the grass is greener on the other side, it was Solomon. A thousand women, a thousand experiences. Surely he could find, if satisfaction was to be found in bed, he was going to find it. He didn't. He didn't. I know what you're thinking. You're single, you're thinking, yeah, but it's, it's, I think it's better than you're saying, Rick. And we should experiment to see what it is. Well, sex is God's wedding gift, and He doesn't want it opened or experimented with early. And it's not like what you think. Let me just tell you, as an old married man, it's not what you think. I was uh, teaching on uh, sexual purity a few years ago in our college ministry. And after I finished, there was a, a freshman in college uh, from the master's college who stood wanting to talk to me. You could, you could tell that you know, he, he was getting two or three people in line. Someone would get behind him and he'd get out of line. No, you go ahead, you go ahead, you go ahead. Finally, there was no one in the gym but just basically me and him. And he said, Rick. What's it like to have sex every day? And so I looked around. And I said, I have no idea. (laughs) We get uncomfortable when we talk about sex. God doesn't. The Bible doesn't. The Bible doesn't blush when it talks about it. There's a whole book called the Song of Solomon that extols it. But Satan has made that such a private little perverted thing that he promises you something in it that's not true. Let me read you. Flip back over one book to Proverbs chapter 5. I find this almost comical. In in teaching his sons how to avoid sexual immorality, Solomon says in verse 15, Drink water from your own cistern. That's like a well of water. And fresh water from your own well. What he's saying, it's a metaphor for only enjoy sexual pleasure with your wife. Drink from your own, not anyone else's. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers. Have marital fidelity, marital faithfulness. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice and the wife of your youth. You know what the Hebrew says on that? <laughs> Let your fountain be blessed and enjoy sex with your wife of your youth. That's what it means. 
as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Wait a minute, hang on, does this really say this? Let her breasts satisfy you at all times and be exhilarated always with her love. Here's what the world does. The world reads that physical part. It says, let the physical satisfy you at all times. It says, yeah, that, that's right. No, read the last part of the verse. Be exhilarated always with her love. The context of sexual pleasure ought to be in the loving relationship of a husband and wife. It's a small part of marriage, but the world has made you think it's a big part of life. Therefore, many of you will be tempted to and likely experiment with this between now and when you're married. That's a good small group discussion to have. What am I going to tell my future husband or wife when we get married about my experiments? Now, the good part is, if you have experimented, God's grace can cover that. But he'll be awfully, awfully mindful if you continue to experiment after you hear Solomon's conclusions. Sexual pleasure is a wonderful part of marriage. But you don't spend a lot of time in bed when you're married. It's a part. Solomon said, maybe if, if, if I can really, really experiment with this, it'll bring me lasting satisfaction. It didn't bring lasting satisfaction. So she said, okay, let me keep going. And he tried the last one. Competition. Maybe if I can be the best. This is the pride of life. If I'm the top of my game, then I'll be satisfied. Then I became great, verse 9, and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. This is such a slam. You know who he's talking about there? His dad, David, and Saul. Those were the only two who had preceded him as king in Jerusalem. It's really sad how cocky he'd become. My wisdom stood by me. So he got to the top. Number one selling book of all time is the Bible. You know what the number two selling book of all time is? The Guinness Book of World Records. Why? Because everyone wants to be everyone wants to be the best at something, and we're interested in people. You ever seen some of that weird stuff? The guy, you seen the guys with the fingernails? I mean, he needs a life. That is really, really a problem. You could go on what people are trying to apple peeling the longest single unbroken apple peel on on record measures. Any guesses? 172 feet, four inches. Balancing on one foot, Amresh Kumar Yaha, balanced on one foot, get this, 71 hours and 40 minutes. Longest period on record anyone has constantly stood is more than 17 years. (laughs) When sleeping, he would lean against a plank. Hair splitting. Alfred West of Great Britain, good for Alfred, He split a human hair 17 times into 18 parts on eight occasions. Kissing. Alfred Wolfram, I guess Alfred is the popular Guinness book name, of New Brighton, Minnesota, kissed 10,504 people in eight hours at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival on August 19, 1995. Longest engagement between Octavio Gillian and Adriana Martinez. They took the plunge and got married after 67 years of being engaged. We could go on. How about one more? Tree sitting. The duration record for staying in a tree is more than 25 years. That's like your whole life. By, I love this. I got this out of the, the Guinness book. It says, by Bunkus. No last name. That's, I guess if you sit in a tree your whole life, you don't, that's all you need to be done. Bunkus. <laughs> Went up in a palm tree in Indonesia in 1970. He's been there, ever, was, was there for 25 years after that. Repeated efforts had been made to persuade him to come down, but without success. <laughs> Why? Because we think if we're better than someone else, then we're really happy. 
We laugh at the Guinness Book of World Records. How about you? Hey, I love sports. There's nothing wrong with healthy competition, but what's in your heart? You want to beat the guy next to you just so that he's put down and you're put up? It's not just a guy thing. Girls, man, I, I taught school. Guys don't do this because they don't care. Girls, the, you pass all the tests back and the girls go, what did you get? Now, there's a certain protocol. If they got higher than you, say, oh, that's great. If they got lower than you, 85. Really? That's really good. What did you get? Oh, I got 95. Right. I'm smart. You're not. I don't know if you see that. But. Does being better at anyone, does winning the championships of the world really bring you happiness? I hesitate to say this because the last thing I want to do is be prideful about this. I'm actually extolling the opposite. When I was in high school, I wrestled and won a state championship in wrestling. I tell you that to tell you this. The most depressed evening I can remember in my whole life was that night after the state championship. For six years, six years, morning, night, uh, dieting. And then I get there and I remember sitting down and looking at that medal at the end of that and saying, that was it? That's it? Getting a little metal? Being the best won't bring you what you think. So, Solomon wraps up. And he concludes it in the final two verses in verse 10 and 11. Get this. All, he doesn't tell us everything about the experiment because all my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. Can you imagine that? Everything I ever wanted, I got. Everything I ever wanted to do, I did. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. I don't know very many people in the history of the world who can make that statement. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. I've worked hard. I'm going to get it. I'm going to have it. I'm going to experience it. Verse 11. Thus, bummer. I considered all my activities which my hands had done, the labor which I exerted. Here it is. Behold, it was all steam off a cup of coffee. There for a moment and gone vanity. Striving after the wind, no profit under the sun. I have three boys. When they were little, we used to do the most heinous thing to them. We would get those bubbles. Those little bubbles you blow. And they would be toddlers walking around. We'd blow, blow, blow the bubbles. They'd floating. You know, my boys go, oh, great, great. Bang! They're gone. That's what he's saying about chasing after the wind. Can anyone just like go out there, go get the wind, go grab the wind and bring it back. Go get it. Chase it. You can't do it. It's cotton candy. It looks so wonderful and gets in your mouth and dissolves. What are you after? Jesus said this. I've come to give them life. Abundant life. Jesus' best friend on earth was a guy named John. John wrote about Jesus, his Lord, his Savior, his best friend. And this is what he said at the end of his book, the Gospel of John. Many other things Jesus did in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, the Gospel of John, but... These have been written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Get this. And believing that you will have life. You'll be alive in His name. Can I be very personal with you for a minute? I've been a part of Solomon's experiment in more ways than I want to admit. But I've given my life to Jesus Christ. The life and the satisfaction that comes from Him doesn't go away, continues to last, continues to grow. Your goal in life is to be happy. 
And that's a good goal because God made you to be happy. But He made you to be happy only in His Son. And once you have embraced His Son, these other pleasures have a place in life. But as gifts of Him to enjoy. Solomon is saying, don't ever enjoy life. He's saying, enjoy it as a gift from Almighty God because you have a relationship with His Son. You're going to break into small groups in a minute. My question for you guys is this. Are you willing to admit that you have been looking for life in all the wrong places? Even when you've seen it doesn't bring you satisfaction, you still go back and drink from the same well. Take some time to discuss how you too have participated in Solomon's experiments and the lasting satisfaction that it has or has not brought. And then contrast that with those in the group who've experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ and the difference that that kind of peace brings. Father, we're thankful for Solomon's experiment because of what we learned last night. We can either learn from him and his experience or learn from our own pain. Lord, I look at the faces of these students and I see a reflection of my own life. The pleasures I tested, the pursuits I pursued, thinking they would bring me something that they never did. Show them the precious, sweet satisfaction that is in Jesus Christ and the gospel. Melt their hearts and help them to see the Savior, the Savior for their sin is also the satisfaction for their soul. In Jesus' name. Amen.